everyone and welcome to the show. This is episode number 47 of Pop Culturally Deprived and today we're going to be talking about Stand By Me on your Cherry Flavored Pez podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Bose. And today I am so excited that we are joined by one half of the Moo Point podcast, talented singer and songwriter and amazing friend of the podcast, Jazzy Bentley. Welcome to the show, Jazzy. Hi guys, thanks for having me. I am I'm so excited to be here. I love Pop Culturally Deprived and I've listened to every episode. Um so I'm really excited to join you today. You've listened Yay. to every episode be- because you're so pop culturally replete. You have seen all the things. Actually, I'm <laughs> pretty in Mandy's camp here. I'm fairly pop culturally deprived as well. <laughs> so I found myself listening to all of the episodes even when I haven't seen something and uh it's a pretty good take. Uh, if Mandy liked it, I probably liked it, or I probably would like it, and I'm happy to go out and watch it then. Oh, does that mean <laughs> she... you don't watch the ones I don't like? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> Aw. M- Mandy's your on, pop culture but... canary. <laughs> yeah, now now you're my pop culture guru, see? Okay. The film Stand By Me, why did you want to come and talk to this? Why, why is this a particular favorite for you? Stand By Me is kind of a a weird film for me to really like because it's a little bit angsty for me. I tend to Mm. just, when I watch things, I want to sort of just be entertained. Mm. Uh, But this one came into my life at a weird time. I didn't see it when it first came out, but I was in high school English class and the teacher decided to show this movie in English class. I still to this day cannot figure out why he thought that was a good choice. And I can't remember what he did. This is back in the 90s. And you certainly couldn't have like all of the language and everything. And I do remember fast forwarding the leeches scene. But I don't remember how he handled all of that. Um, It just it made an impression on me, partly because months prior to this, my brother had died in a car accident. And so it was a really interesting thing for me to connect to. Mm. But Mostly, I liked it because, um, well, the reason that I paid really close attention is because I had just started watching Star Trek The Next Generation, and I had a big crush on (laughs) Wesley Crusher. And now I stand firmly in the Shut Up Wesley camp. I mean, but I I saw a kid on a spaceship, and I was like, oh my goodness, he's so cute! And I totally loved Wesley. And so... I was so excited to watch this movie with Will Wheaton, and then it was creepy because he was like 12 and I was 18, and it just felt dirty. But either way, the movie stuck. I liked it. I've I've watched it many, many times since then and read the book many times. And yeah, it's just one of those things. I, I like almost all of the production elements and yeah, sort of formative, a little bit angsty. Well, terrific. We will find out in a bit what Mandy thought. I can't wait. I, I know you have a crush on Will Wheaton as well. <laughs> Will Wheaton. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> That's just standard, right? Yeah. Hey, Mandy. How come you've never seen Stand By Me? I don't think I even knew this movie existed until I embraced my geeky fandoms as an adult. I certainly don't ever recall hearing about this when I was younger um, and in that 90s time frame. So when I embraced my geeky self as an adult. Um, I started following Will Wheaton and um, probably learned about it when he (laughs) blogged about it or tweeted about it or something. And so then I realized there was this movie that had all of these actors in it when they were kids that I thought I would be really interested in seeing. So I don't know why I didn't ever watch it at that point, why I saved it. Maybe in the back of my mind, I knew we were going to do this podcast one day and I was waiting. That's all I, like I can that. figure. You were channeling your future podcaster. And and you say think it I was. just for us. Thanks, Mandy. Well, I did. And then I picked it for this episode uh, of Pop Culturally Deprived specifically because it's uh, my birthday episode and I wanted to do a movie that I thought I would really like. So that's why I picked this one. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Everybody get ready for the Twitter shower for Mandy's birthday. Yay! And we'll still get this. Like, someone will download this in, like, June 2018. Exactly. Hey, happy birthday, Mandy. (laughs) Hashtag Mandy's birthday. Oh, I like it. Yes, we should do that. It will live on. We should do that. I love it. All right. Well, I have a very brief history and production section for you today. Uh, Stand By Me is a 1986 coming-of-age film directed by Rob Reiner. 
Starring Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell, it is an adaptation of Stephen King's novella, The Body. And it is a movie about four 12-year-old boys bonding as they journey to find the body of a missing child, which makes it sound way, way darker than it actually is. <laughs> it, it makes it sound like a Stephen King story. It does. Yes, it does. I mean, it's pretty dark, but that, 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 that sounds really dark. I believe that they changed the name of the movie from The Body to Stand By Me just to take out a little mm. bit of the darkness. So you're, you're not off on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how were you able to watch the film, Mandy? Uh, this is another one where free trials of channels on Amazon came in handy. Um, this was available on demand on the Sundance channel. So I signed up for the seven-day free trial and then promptly canceled it after I watched this movie. <laughs> I forgot to do that on one of these, and then I ended up paying for like Showtime for an extra month or something. Oh. But I did take advantage of it, so it was nice. Good. Uh, Josie? I own the DVD. Um, I also own nice. the Stephen King novella collection, and so I rewatched the DVD. I reread the book. I also listened to the director's commentary because mm. I'm that nerdy. <laughs> Do, do you have anything particular to regale with us with from that, or was it obvious stuff? It's it's kind of obvious stuff as it goes along. Um, it was interesting to hear Rob Reiner's takes on uh, what came from him and what came from Stephen King, and um, he actually had a little more insight on some of the things that Stephen King said. So, oh, okay, the, yeah, it'll kind of come up, I think. Nice. Uh, over here, it's available on Sky Cinema, so I downloaded and watched it. Easy peasy. Okay, so going in for this, Mandy, it sounds like you didn't know a huge amount about it at all. What were your expectations for the film? Well, I assumed I'd like it, but as it probably already sounds like, I did go into this completely blind. All I knew was that it had those actors in it that I liked, and they were children, so I wanted to see what these people did as kids. And I had no idea it was a Stephen King adaptation. I didn't know there was a book or I guess novella yeah. in this case, I had no idea. Literally all I knew was that <laughs> this was a movie Will Wheaton did when he was 12 and it was called Stand By Me. Full stop. So when we recorded it, I mentioned Stand By Me as a Stephen King thing and mm -hmm. you didn't react. I'm like, I I'm not sure she's not noticed or just knew and it's such a mundane fact. <laughs> nope, I, I don't actually have a recollection of that and I probably didn't hear you, which is why I didn't react. I don't know. I don't listen to you when we podcast. No, well, clearly. Like I'm talking to myself, so. I think that was one of the things that turned me onto it so much after I watched it is that I heard that it was a Stephen King adaptation, and it seemed mm. so out of character. So I I went straight out and bought the collection. It's it's one of four stories in a uh, the collection's called Different Seasons, and they're all very different. Uh, it's actually it also contains the Shawshank Redemption mm. and another another novella that became a movie called Apt People, which is one of the more disturbing things I've ever read. Mm. So we don't need to talk about that. I've never seen that movie. Bet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree, Mandy. It's like it's a very it just seems like a departure from the usual horror visuals that he loves to put throughout all of his books. Okay, Mandy, you listed a lot of people at the beginning who made an in this film. What is your experience of the, the various people? Okay, I'm really excited about this because I have experience with all of these people. <laughs> and that's very exciting to me <laughs> because I never knew anything about anybody. So um, we'll start with Rob Reiner, who directed this. Uh, this is at least the second Rob Reiner film we've done on the show because we did When Harry Met Sally. Um, he also directed The Princess Bride, uh, another Stephen King adaptation, Misery, and A Few Good Men. I love all of those movies, and I've seen them all, which is fantastic. <laughs> can I ask a quick question on Rob Reiner? Have you ever seen This Is Spinal Tap? No. <gasps> Excuse me while well, I add something to the list. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. Hang on. That, yeah. Turning that up to 11. I've heard okay. of it at least. <laughs> good right and on with the actors <laughs> all right um well obviously you guys know that i've heard of will wheaton because will we've wheaton. already talked about him um the next star trek the next generation uh, he had a recurring character on eureka he plays himself on big bang theory i follow him on twitter i read his blog 
um, I kind of stalk him, which is terrible. I <laughs> met him at Awesome Con this past June, and I have a picture with him, which is fantastic. I'm really not a stalker, you guys. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Like it. Hey, Will. Call us. Yeah, you you also love the uh, audiobook he did, so you can listen to the sound of his voice. The audiobook he did? Let me just tell you, I own all of the audiobooks that Will Wheaton has ever narrated. If he narrates it, I am going to listen to it. I don't care if I hate the book. But you particularly love Ready Player One. I do, actually. That's one you I really keep like mentioning it. to me, yeah. So. Um, well, yeah. But I will say I discovered uh, John Scalzi as an author because of Will Wheaton. I went and looked for books that he's narrated, and he does most of Scalzi's books. Mm, he did Bishops, didn't he? He's, he did. He did mm. uh, most of them. Agent of the Stars, Luck In. Um, yeah, really good. Really good author, okay. really good audiobook narrator. Fantastic. Uh, River Phoenix is somebody that I'm mostly just aware of in general because apparently he was really super famous, and then he died really, really young. Nice. Um, and it was like a big mm. deal when mm -hmm. he died. And so I, I'm really more familiar with him in that context than anything else. Um, I don't think I knew who he, who he was until after he died. Um, and then one of the movies that I used to watch over and over and over again in middle and high school is a movie called The Thing Called Love. It's about country music songwriters and River Phoenix uh, starred in that, which was fantastic. And then I remembered that he played young Indy in The Last Crusade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his his story is a real shame. It's uh, a little bit like Heath Ledger, but right. we never got the great performance from River Phoenix. Right. So. But he had so much potential. It, exactly. Um, yeah. There, there is at least one more of his films on the, on the list, so we will see him. Again. Oh, okay. Uh, Corey Feldman. Um, this is. One, really, where it's more, again, pop culture awareness than anything else. I have seen The Goonies, um, and I think that's all. I, I know him as one of the Corys, um, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. This was actually I, almost I, a I don't know movie. why I'm aware. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm aware of the Corys when I've only seen The Goonies. No idea, but that's a thing. I think it's and because you lived at one point in the 90s. So you had to. I mean, <laughs> only at one point. If you existed at all in the '90s, you were forced to know what the Corys were. I, I'm the same way. I actually never watched them, but I knew who the Corys yeah. were. And I don't think I could, if I saw a picture of Corey Haim, I might not recognize it. <laughs> I, I would recognize him as a Corey, but I get them mixed up. Like I mix up which ones oh, Feldman yeah. and which ones Haim. Me too, all the time. So. Jerry O'Connell did a lot of film and TV in the 90s, and I actually saw most of it. Shockingly enough, um, Jerry Maguire, he was in Screen 2. He was in Can't Hardly Wait. He was in the Veronica Mars movie from 2014. Uh, he was a recurring character in Crossing Jordan. He was the main character in Sliders, which I didn't actually watch, but I always wanted to. Um, so he's, he's done a lot of stuff. And then we've talked about Stephen King before. Uh, obviously, this is the second Stephen <laughs> King movie we've done in the last two months. Uh, so I've seen uh, generally the non-horror stuff like uh, The Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile. Um, obviously, I've seen It. I've seen Misery. Um, and, you know, I, I have, of course, seen The Shining. So I've, I've seen some of the horror stuff. I like how you said, of course, you've seen The Shining because <laughs> I haven't seen The Shining. <laughs> Yeah, because you're Mandy. You've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an example of the, the great coming-of-age film. Young adults, people on the sort of verge of becoming teenagers or even adults, go on some sort of adventure, have some sort of change of worldview and experience that allows them to grow up. Uh, what's your experience of films like that? Um... Have you seen Crossroads to... is basically what we're trying to get to. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Yes, I have seen Crossroads. What? I'm yes. sorry. Yes, I have. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you seen Crossroads, Josie? <clears throat> Struggling to answer. No, no, I haven't seen Crossroads. <laughs> See, I saw a preview for Crossroads. That kept me out of the theater. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I also had a... Um, uh, strong dislike of Britney Spears at the moment that Crossroads came out. That That's a character I flaw see. on my part. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Mm -hmm. 
most of the movies that I can think of that are in that same like coming of age adventure are not dark and deep like Stand By Me is, and so I hesitate <laughs> to call them similar. I mean, like The Never Ending Story or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there are many others, but, you know, those are fun movies and they're fun adventures, and Stand By Me is about kids who have a lot of issues and there's a lot of death in this movie. Yes. That's They're true. Not the same. Stand by okay. me. Stands alone. Okay, we will we will revisit that point shortly. <laughs> um, right, stand by me. Did you enjoy this film? I did enjoy it. Uh, I honestly wish I had found it when I was younger. I think this is the kind of movie that, while I find it slightly hard to talk about articulately, it's the kind of movie that speaks to my soul because of the friendships the boys had. So even though it's kind of a dark subject matter, I really enjoy seeing those kind of relationships when they're they're good and they're healthy and they're valuable if that makes sense because i mean these kids had a lot of really bad stuff going on in their lives but at least they had each other i i think that makes perfect sense i think that's part of what they were going for yeah it's it's not usual to have i mean almost any film in hollywood but films that depict kids who are in inverted commas the wrong side of the tracks Right. Usually when you see, and again, coming of age things, it's about getting a car and going across the country or, you know, growing up in a nice suburban neighborhood. These these kids are not those archetypes. Right. And usually when you have... Gordy's the closest. <laughs> Gordy, Gordy's close, but Gordy's host because mm. <laughs> those parents are gone. <laughs> but usually when yeah. you see something like this, uh, kids of this type in a coming of age type movie, you tend to... It, tends to be darker from the beginning and just keep getting darker. Like, if this were the typical mm. movie about these kids, the death in the movie would have been one of them. Like, for sure. Somebody would have died by the end of it instead of yeah. them going to find this random stranger. Because hmm. we open the film knowing that one of the kids is going to die. Like, they, they make that link really quickly by showing the headline with his name and then very quickly the narrator goes, my friend Chris... Right. Um, right, but often that is actually, like, part of what makes the kids grow up is that they, like, have to go through this thing of losing their friend or true, some horrible yeah. thing that, you know, happens specifically to them. This is just these kids kind of navigating it. To them, they seem to think that it's just a fun adventure, but it actually is more formative mm -hmm. than they believe. And that seems to really only sink into the two of them, to Gordy and Chris. Yeah. So that, I think, leads me to the question I thought of when, when Mandy was talking about similar coming-of-age films. Uh, other films that we could easily compare this to, maybe like a Goonies, um, it, it's not quite apt because those are films made for young people. Right. So they're exciting and adventurous, but also sort of tell them a bit about the world and friendship and, you know, working as a team and, and have some sort of uh, moral code on there as well. This film doesn't, and it's actually about these kids' situation in life and trying to get out of it and dealing with depression and adults and, and the pressures of life around right. them. And it's told from the perspective of the narrator who has just realised this kid who was so important to him has died, even though they've not had contact. So who is this film for? Is it actually a film for adults to have nostalgia over? Is it a baby boomers film? Hmm, that's a good question. Mm. This is me thinking. <laughs> is it both? Is it a, a a sort of coming of age film that kids can watch and go, oh, hey, these kids bond and it's good to be friends? I think... But it's um, also got something for adults. I don't know. I think as a kid watching this movie, you just really wouldn't get it. I remember I was a teenager when I watched it, and so <laughs> it wasn't quite as shocking to me as it would have been to, say, a, a kid their age a 12 year old watching this and again, this is you know from the 90s perspective a, a 12 year old kid in the 90s probably mm. wouldn't have really had the depth i don't think to understand the bigger points i think they would be impressed by how cool these kids were and how they had these big ideas and they mm -hmm. were talking especially chris who seems you know just wise beyond his years right but i don't know that they would have taken away from it that this was such a formative event because I don't know that 12-year-old kids are looking for a formative event. Yeah, I, I think it's the kind of movie that 
if a 12-year-old had watched it, they probably would have liked it, but for very different reasons than I liked it as oh, an right. adult watching it. Um, like like you said, it's about the adventure. They're, you know, dodging trains and they're, you know, going on this adventure for two days away right. from their parents. They got away with it. And, you know, <laughs> and one of them, you know, brought a gun to play with and just like all of this exciting, you know, campfire, f- making the food on the campfire and those sorts of things. Those are all the adventurous things that a 12 year old would be really interested in and think, wow, I really want to be like these boys. Not really thinking about the friendship that these boys have with each other and that the, the journey that they go on kind of emotionally throughout the movie. And so I think both audiences are valid, but I think the the adult audience is going to get more out of it. I, that's the right way to say that. Okay. Yeah. Way to sum that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what are the, the big changes of this? As with most Stephen King stories, it's set in Maine. Right. Um, where he grew up and where these sort of formative events happened for him. But it's now set in Oregon. Does that impact it at all? And why would they change it? Is it a production decision <laughs> to change it? Or does it actually do something to the story? There's lore that the one of the original, one of the early people working on it had misread the word Portland and forgot that there's a Portland in Maine. And so they put it in Oregon. <laughs> okay. There's lore. That's never been confirmed. I mean, personally. It, it's, it sounds daft enough to be exactly. believable. <laughs> well, it's funny because like all the towns that they talk about, they actually are doubled in the Pacific Northwest. That's what makes me laugh about it. Because Stephen King famously like, you know, crosses his character and geographical references. And so it wasn't at all hard because mm. there is a Castle Rock in the Pacific Northwest. It's it's actually in Washington, uh, but Oregon's cheaper to film in, so they filmed in Oregon. And they actually think they filmed in Brownsville, Oregon. And I, I don't think it impacted it at all. I think the most lasting impact of the okay. geography was that Castle Rock became the name of Rob Reiner's production company because he connected with this film so much. Mm. It was one of his first really big things. And so he actually named his production company Castle Rock, which I thought was cool. But I don't think it changed the the gist of what was going on. Um, I grew up in really small okay. rural America and in Indiana, and I still connected with everything that was happening. So I don't think the geography made that much of a difference. Okay. So the the train tracks. Those were in Redding, California. This is almost too detailed a point. Um, I remember visiting a friend in uh, Redmond, Washington. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit where the train tracks go through the town and then out a bit. And we walked along them for a bit. And I think they were disused. But I did have a thing of like, hey, this is kind of like Stand By Me. <laughs> is that just what train tracks are like across America? I don't know. There's a lot of rivers out here with, with hills on either side. So I can think of um, four or five bridges in Oregon. That I, I live in Oregon. And I, I can think of, a, well, I can mm. think of about 20 bridges for sure. And I can think of at least three <laughs> railroad tracks that I've walked across like that. So... <laughs> Okay. I've walked across a lot of railroad tracks, but there are no bridges in my area when I grew up that I can think of. So it would have just been, if a train was coming, I would jump in the ditch or go right. in the woods. You know, <laughs> I wasn't quite so perilous as uh, those bridges. It's great. It's it's fundamentally different from the way that we do trains over here, like fences and barriers, and and it's. <laughs> very difficult to get onto train tracks particularly oh, when a train general is safety oh yeah no it's not like that at all <laughs> no no yeah yeah no here it's just railroad tracks in the middle of a field uh, yeah. somewhere and you can just Absolutely. walk right on one them. of the great pastimes is you know pressing coins on the railroad tracks and standing there and watching the trains go by and squish your pennies yes. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> oops we lost a finger that's okay yes. we've got nine more <laughs> I will say I never have never tried to dodge a train before because that just freaks me out. It feels almost it too easy. It seems like an obvious thing. The train is going one speed, so you jump right before it gets there, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently not because a lot of people die from doing that. So oh, I need to watch the news more, I guess. <laughs> I, I suspect there's other things involved than just bravado. Um, <laughs> drink is what I mean. Oh, oh, the drink. Ah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably overestimating your ability, thinking that you can wait yeah. until the last second and you can still get off 
because you think it's only going one speed. So of course I can get off and then you, you know, overshot it and oh, guess what? You're dead now. <laughs> yeah. You know, Saturday in rural America. <laughs> Pretty much. So the setting of it, is that something that appealed to you uh, watching this, Josie? And, and the, the sort of understanding what they were going through and seeing Do you it. mean the, the fact that it was in Oregon or the, just the general, like... Uh, no, just the... Yeah, because you were age-appropriate on seeing it and the situation of it. You Like you said, you could kind of... Uh, oh, absolutely, to... yeah. I mean, I was I was older than these kids, but I, you know, situationally... I, that's a, not a word, I don't think. Um, I had just gone through exactly what Gordy was going through. Um, I mean, I was still in the midst of it, and this was these kids were like my people. Like I, I actually, this wasn't the crowd that I would have run with, but I understood everything that they were going through. You know, these, these would have been like the scandalous kids and, and the bad kids that I was a little too nerdy to, to hang out with. Um, but everything that they experienced and said and, and their reactions, that all seemed, that just spoke right to me. It was, it was exactly how I remember hmm. my youth being. And so I didn't know if that was, because of the setting, or if that was just kind of universal for kids everywhere, I, I really don't know how much that had to do with it. I do know that my relation to Gordy's story definitely struck me at the moment that I was watching it. I don't know if it would have hit me as much now, mm. um, but I think everything that he was thinking and feeling was absolutely true. And I, I do want to go on record to say my parents were wonderful people, and they did, <laughs> didn't ignore me for the next 20 years. <laughs> but... But his, yeah. Hi, Josie's mom. Hi, mom, dad. I love you. <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, that, that was all very real. And one of the major things they did in the adaptation was the book was just a little bit more of Chris's story, actually. And Rob Reiner made a conscious decision to turn this into Gordy's story. And I think that made it more poignant for most people. Yeah, that, but well, it, it's interesting because watching it, I do always feel like Chris has almost more of a... Oh, journey is not quite the right word, but growth from... I think the, there is an opening line about him, about uh, his parents are bad, his brother's bad, he's yeah. going to end up being bad. I mean, everybody knew he was going to be bad, even Chris himself, yeah. Mm. It, partially because of, I think, his friendship with Gordy and, and his ability to sort of understand his own situation is what helps him step out and become an attorney. Yeah. So he has a growth developed throughout the Which film. is funny because he spends a lot of time lecturing Gordy about don't let your friends drag you down, you know, we're the losers. But then he lets his friend Gordy actually kind of bring him up because he wouldn't have taken all those steps to move forward and become an attorney if he hadn't taken what Gordy said to heart, which is, but you're smart too and you've got potential too and you don't have to land in this cesspool that everyone expects you to. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mandy, almost the same questions for you. Obviously, you're coming at it from a very different uh, time of your life. But... Is there something seeing these kids that you had some of the same experiences or friendship groups? Obviously not the same experiences. Um, Does it speak to your well, childhood? That's, that's a tough question. <laughs> not, honestly, not really, because I never had a group of friends like that. I moved hmm. around so much as a kid that I didn't keep friends. Um, and then the friends that I did have are not still in my life now so I don't know what it's like to have the kind of bond that these boys had which is why I I had said I, I wish I had seen it younger when I was younger because it, it's the kind of bond that I've always wanted to have and so I like seeing it on the screen or in a book that I'm reading or whatever and it probably would have I don't know made me feel better or worse <laughs> about my life I don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> it would go one one of one way or the other um but yeah I I haven't experienced a death in the family that way. I I have had my parents kind of ignore me, but not really. I mean, I mean, my childhood was crappy but normal. I think. Okay. I don't know. Like, okay. I just don't think I related <laughs> to it. Is really what I'm trying to say. Okay. I'm I'm interested because uh, I I can remember watching this film probably as a teenager, maybe. And, and not being able to relate to it, but because it's such a, a different situation and different environment than anything I certainly had experienced at that point. 
and whilst I had friends that, you know, that we, we had a tight group and we always hung around and, and mucked about and stuff, we largely played Magic the Gathering and then went out to see bands. So, like, quite a different situation. Who's good to play in cards? So you wouldn't go into the woods for two days? <laughs> yeah. And maybe if these kids were doing this stuff now, maybe they'd be playing, playing they'd Magic. They'd be playing but, Magic the uh, Gathering and then they'd be camping out in front of the rock band venue for the two days prior. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I, I have the same thing that no, it's not, not something I relate to in that way. But you can sort of see what the film is doing. Like, oh, it's really interesting these kids and they're each representations of different sort of uh, adolescent styles and and different the the rages you go through as an ad, as an adolescent um, about families and about your situation, your hopes for the future. So it does it does a lot of good work. It's just. Even if it doesn't relate, you can still see what's going on with it. So if it's that makes half sense. universal. Yes. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Demi-universe. Okay. One of the characters that we've not mentioned is Kiefer Sutherland as the oh, neighborhood bully. Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> um, and he's a bad, bad oh, boy. He's so bad. <laughs> he, he doesn't even really get his comeuppance. He just gets scared off. And it makes me a little bit worried about the future of these kids. Like... <laughs> He's going to come after them, surely. Like, he's going to be pissed and come after them one one by one. Well, I'm curious what your what your headcanon is, what you think happened, because I do have the advantage of having read the book, so I kind of know what happens to Ace. Okay. Oh. Okay. That's yeah, go ahead. I'm. I, okay. I have no headcanon. Okay. I just come away with, from it going. I, I I would expect a point there of him being shamed and oh, never man, wouldn't that have been great okay so this is a stephen king book you remember yeah. that right so first <laughs> it it went down a lot like like they said um only actually in the book chris is the one who pulled out the gun because the other boys didn't know about it except for gordy okay chris is the one who faced down ace which um more on well actually that was one of the things that stephen king was super thrilled about when he saw he was like he told rob reiner that was a great idea I wish I'd thought of that. The movie's so much better than the book because <laughs> Gordy's the one who faced down <laughs> nice. Ace. Um, but anyway, what actually happened to Ace was, first of all, he was the one who decided to put in the anonymous call instead of the four boys. I don't know why that was the case, but um, they actually did hunt down the four boys one by one and beat the living tar out of them. And... All four boys just kind of dismissed it. They never ratted out Ace and his henchmen. They just went, oh, it was worth it, and moved on. And nothing really ever happened to Ace. Gordy saw him, you know, a few years later, like 10 or 15 years later, he just saw him, you know, wandering into the neighborhood bar in the evening, and he just turned into like a car mechanic or something like that. Just after his long day's work, he just, he assumed he just hung out at the bar, you know, three or four hours a night. <laughs> Okay. Doing his thing, then went back home. Ace just kind of went on living. <laughs> went went home, bleached his Pretty hair. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much just became, you know, what Kiefer Sutherland is today. So there we go. Okay, that's not true. That's mean. <laughs> I I love Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland in this movie. I think he just did such a good job with this character. And I'm mm. I'm not a huge Kiefer fan, but um I think this is my favorite thing that he's ever done. I think it, he just personified it and did it extremely well. He should have just kept going on playing villains the rest of his career. Yeah, you get the real alpha dog sense from yeah. him. Yeah. Just barking yeah. at everyone and controlling <laughs> things. And and just the, like the destruction of the uh, mailboxes. Right. It, it's so pointless and petty, but that's all these kids have got to do in right. this town. I've actually played mailboxes. It's very believable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh really? Oh really? Okay, we played Coffee. it with garbage cans, so it wasn't actual destruction of property. It was just very, very messy. <laughs> you guys, there really isn't a lot to do. <laughs> There's Magic the Gathering. What more do you need? We didn't have Magic the Gathering. We didn't have like internet to know that there was Magic the Gathering. <laughs> okay. Um, I also just want to talk a little bit about the structure of the film. It is told, like I've said, from the point of view of the narrator. So the adult Gordy, Richard Dreyfus, Right. And then you go straight into effectively flashbacks, but the flashbacks are the film. Um, a bit like Wonder Woman does, almost. <laughs> You've got this slight bookend. But the rest of the film is actually his thing. But then even within that, there are further flashbacks. Right. 
where you see Gordy having flashbacks to his uh, brother. You have uh, uh, and and the the it's not a flashback, but the bit where he's telling the story about the pie eating competition. <laughs> I think there's even other moments in that where you see flashbacks to other things going on with some of the kids. I, I, I really like this sort of story within a story within a story. Right. It, it really works to uh, root you in what's going on and show you what's happening with each of them. Whilst also, I don't know, it just it, it, it sets it up almost like a fable or some sort of fairy tale story. That's really good because I actually never even put that together. That it's like a triple tiered flashback thing. Mm. I know that it was written semi out of semi-autobiographically is that the word which makes mm -hmm. the um makes yes. the flashbacks even more like makes the gordy flashbacks even more effective i think i mean they they did actually happen in the original narrative i don't know that they actually happened to stephen king um but it is this multi-layered effect and then instead of when you mentioned the pie eating competition like the cartoon aspect of that as being a story told instead yeah. of that really, you know, gauzy flashback, terrible memories thing, dreams that are happening. That's just so stark. And it's it's so funny to see the difference between these really depth filled flashbacks to this. Now we're just boys sitting around talking about barf. And this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I do love that moment where the boys are then like, hey, right? what happens then? <laughs> They want to know more of the story. And he's like, no, no, I'm a short a writer of short stories. So it's just a little thing. And I love... But they want him to continue to become the novel writer he will be. I love that Teddy's version of, you could have had a great ending. Like he goes home and shoots his dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. No one sees that this kid's got problems, but it's okay. And unfortunately, this is very much a time where it can be, yeah, he's going to go and enter the army. And, and we know there still will be wars to be fought, so... Uh, there is a place for him as a kid. The other ones are still trying to work out where they fit in this world. Actually, that was added by the movie. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, I, really? hate, I hate to be the nerd okay. who's like, that's not what, how it was in the book. Um, but it was actually no, no, a no. really strong, it was a big talking point in the book. Um, Teddy had, Teddy's dad had actually burned both of his ears so much that they were just little lumps and he wore hearing aids and his eyesight oh. was so bad. He, everyone knew that he would never make it into the army. Um, but they just kept telling him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then one day when you get to the army, because they knew that that would be the thing that finally put him over the edge, knowing that he couldn't go into the army like his old man. Mm. Um, actually, both Teddy and Vern in the afterthoughts, they both uh, pass on quite early. I forget what happened to Teddy. Vern died in, in a house fire, I think. I think, oh, Teddy, <laughs> Teddy was um, driving his car too fast with a car full of people and flipped it and everybody in the car died or something like that. Like oh. both Teddy and Vern didn't live past their early 20s, which was kind of sad. I am suddenly seeing how much of a Stephen King story Yeah, it is. makes a lot more sense when you read it. It's not, it's not as like graphic and morbid as the rest of them seem to be. <laughs> but but you, can, you can see how the adaptations turned it into something more uh, accessible, I guess. I don't know. Stephen King mm. loved this adaptation. Yeah. He told Rob Reiner that this was the best adaptation of one of his films that he'd ever seen and it actually that's actually why they work together so often Stephen King would seek out Rob Reiner often after this because of these subtle little changes and it, I say that but like the, the movie is really really very faithful to the book so much of even the little dialogue bits well all of the major dialogue is lifted directly from the book but they made those it sounds like I'm talking about a whole bunch of changes, but there really weren't that many changes. They just kind of turned it into Gordy's story. Mm. And, um, you know, those afterthought incidentals just changed a little bit. So as an adaptation, in your opinion, is it adapting the story? So what is written down they are putting on screen? Or is it adapting the, the feel of the oh, story? Oh, it's absolutely ad ad adapting. I, that's not a word. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> adapting the actual story, what's happening, and putting it on the screen. Um, the feel is okay. all there. I mean, all all of the narration from Richard Dreyfus that is lifted straight from the text. All of the all of the big important things that the kids are talking about, the conversations, those are all lifted like syllable by syllable from the text. It's really 
it's really impressive. I am one of those snobs who compares the books to the movies and like, ah, oh, the book is so much better. Um, but this one is not that way. It's it's very, it's really very true. I, and it, it was just those couple tweaks. They sound major, but they're not really because when you read the book, you're also reading it from, I mean, it is Gordy who wrote the story. And so you're reading it, Gordy writing in first person, Gordy even making references to the stories that he was going to write. And, you know... It's funny that I made a million dollars off of, you know, describing gore, but this kid wasn't gory at all when we found him, that kind of thing. So, you, it, I mean, <laughs> it's it's kind of a surreal experience That's because, you know, yeah, you know, it's Stephen King writing about himself as Gordy, who's writing about this thing that didn't, it's mm. very, it, I think it's a very, very true adaptation. I really recommend, even if you don't read the whole novella is like 500 pages. Um, I recommend going out and finding the body if you like this movie. It's, it's Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So we talked about the kids sitting around telling the tales around the campfire. Um and that great bit where um is it Jerry? Jerry O'Donnell. The big kid. Uh, the, uh, Vern. Hmm. Right? Vern, okay. yes. Um and he interrupts him and, and starts to, sort of asking questions and going off on one. It's like, no, no, let Gordy tell the thing. <laughs> they really do have childish characteristics at times. Yeah. I mean, I remember that from being a kid really, really mm. wanting to be taken seriously as an adult and really wanting to just that, just to look more mature than I really was and being able to pull it off for a certain amount of time. But then eventually you just kind of revert back to your random childish nature. <laughs> like, um, you yeah. know, we're we're talking about the future and how our old man is, you know, scum. Let's go play Legos. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love how these kids just they snap back and forth between those two things so perfectly. It just it it seems seamless to me. Mm. I, I, it's it's partly the part the casting and part the writing. Um, I think they really managed to pull that off and portray it. But I I love how they're doing that super serious comment. The the conversation where they're walking along the tracks and Gordy and Chris are in the back. Um, talking about how Chris doesn't want Gordy to let his friends drag him down. Um, and then you f the camera flashes up to Teddy and Vern in front going, well, no, there's no way that Mighty Mouse could beat Superman <laughs> or whatever it is that they're talking about. <laughs> and these two conversations are actually happening at the same time. And they're both totally real. I, I just thought that was something I could, I just remember relating to that, wanting to be taken seriously so badly. But at the same time, oh, I wanted to go and buy a Barbie because I just want to go play. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a, a... It's almost a childish notion, the, the wanting to be seen to be grown up. Yeah. Because now as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I just want to have fun, right. guys. <laughs> I don't want things to be hard. Yes. <laughs> now I would give anything to just go play Legos. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, it, interesting you talk about the, the writing and the casting and the acting. I, I suspect the, the boys themselves were very good at doing the childish stuff. Yeah. <laughs> because some of the stuff I read, uh, like the behind the scenes things, Rob Reiner, it sounds like, had to work very hard to get some of the adult uh, adult moments. There, there were comments about him screaming at the boys to make them look afraid right, enough right. for the, um, the, the train chicken moment um, and having to get river phoenix to talk about an adult letting him down enough and how we got to him to that yeah place. he said, mentions that in the commentary he had to really like really coach him through these horrible dark feelings and he did it so well that like mm. it took a while to bring him back up like he says and then i had to hold him and hug him and tell him everything was going to be okay oh. <laughs> it was all done he just it's so easy to picture you know big cuddly rob reiner just it's okay buddy i, I think they only could shoot that twice because it was so affecting for river once he finally got it oh river. i know that's that's a shame it makes oh. me sad that final shot when he's walking away at the end uh mm. that uh, that one gets me every time i can barely watch that without i i'm not crying you're crying <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody's chopping onions <laughs> yeah the only water in the forest <laughs> let's lighten the mood i think okay let us talk about some of our favourite moments of this film, because <laughs> there, there is a lot of fun to the film. I mean, we've mentioned sitting around the campfire and telling silly stories and so on. 
Josie, you've probably got a lot from this, but what are some of your favorite things from Stand okay, By Me? Um, it's still dark, but I absolutely love Kiefer Sutherland. That's one of the first things I think of when I think of the things that I mm. love. <laughs> but I also love just the crap these kids said. It's just so funny. <laughs> My absolute favorite line is, well, I, I quote Cherry Flavored Pez all the time and I get weird looks for that one. Um, but my favorite is uh, <laughs> you use your right hand or your left hand for that. <laughs> yeah. That was the one. That's it's superb so line. It did not come from the book. <laughs> yeah. It was so good. Oh, nope, really? it was one of the two. So for our listeners who haven't watched the movie, can you put that in context and give the line? I don't think I'm allowed it? to put it in context. I don't know. <laughs> because that's what makes it funny. <laughs> I mean, um. So Teddy is trying to convince all the boys to walk across the the train tracks, the trestle, and everybody's a little nervous about mm-hmm. the big what's that? Bridge. Yeah, the big bridge, the Shake Shake Bridge. Mm. And he, the some of the kids are trying to convince him to go down to another bridge, and Teddy says, "Look, you guys can go one two. I'm crossing here, and while you guys are dragging your candy asses halfway across the state and back, I'll be waiting for you on the other side." Relaxing with my thoughts. You use your left hand or your right hand for that? Do you use your right hand or your left hand for that? (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what makes it funny. (laughs) And I'm still laughing. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost too good for a kid that age. It's so... (laughs) (laughs) It's so sharp. Well, you certainly don't expect it to come from Gordy right, or exactly. Will Wheaton. <laughs> He's just so quiet the whole time, and that's like one of the most biting, cutting things that anybody says. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the bit at the beginning where they're sat in the treehouse ribbing on each other. Right. It just ends up going so far. I mean, I love a good Yo Mama joke. I love a good Yo Mama But uh, uh, there's enough in this thing that I'm just like, okay, boys, move on. <laughs> But yeah. they're 12-year-old boys. That's what yeah. they do. <laughs> the well is deep. So. <laughs> hmm. Mandy, did you have any favorite things to discuss? I had two. Uh, one was John Cusack as <sighs> Gordy's brother in the flashbacks. Yeah. Um, one, just because I love John Cusack. And I thought he was perfect for the part. And just Gordy's memories of his brother were so good. He loved his brother. He idolized his brother. And you could see that in those memories, the way his parents were ignoring him, but his brother wasn't, and that sort of thing. And I really, really liked it. I liked the portrayal of it. Hmm. And um, I know we've all of us, I think, have talked about the casting right. of this movie um, as we've been talking about it. And I think, I think it was just perfect. I, I don't know that they could have done any better right. with the casting. And I found uh, a, a quote from Will Wheaton uh, about the casting, and he said, uh, Rob Reiner found four young boys who basically were the characters we played. I was awkward and nerdy and shy and uncomfortable in my own skin and really, really sensitive. And River was cool and really smart and passionate and even at that age kind of like a wow. father figure to some of us. Jerry was one of the funniest people I had ever seen in my life, either before or since. And Corey was unbelievably angry and in an incredible amount of pain and had an absolutely terrible relationship with his parents. And, I mean, that is exactly those characters. Mm. And, And rather than throwing them right into shooting the movie, Rob Reiner actually put the four boys together for two weeks and made them play... Um, theater improv games so that they could kind of get to know each other and build camaraderie with each other. And that's what led to all of them having a real friendship. And uh, Will specifically said that when you saw the four of us being comrades, that was real life, not acting. Hmm. And I feel like that comes across when you're watching Hmm. it. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah, there are some really, I love that because there are some really long shots of all four of them having the same having a conversation together and the fact that they could pull that off shows that he really had his work cut out for him but it really worked well i love that yeah and it's a really good idea for to give young actors that sort of uh coaching experience as well to make them more comfortable with with the the process they go through although there are a lot of stories of them getting up to (laughs) shenanigans 
and and more oh, behind the scenes. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe not the best idea for so long, but fair enough. Uh, what about you, Matthew? What were your favorite parts? Um, a, a couple of things to mention. I, I love fairly early on where they're starting out on the adventure and uh, Gordy and Chris. Chris has, has given the gun to <laughs> Gordy and he says to him, is it loaded? No. And he fires it. And there's just this reaction shot of the two of them in sync going, Jesus! Jesus! <laughs> and their, their faces is amazing. It just, I don't know how many takes it must have taken, but the, the sort of in sync, <laughs> wide eyed fear of both I of them. I searched and searched for trivia on how they got that reaction out of them, and I never found it. <laughs> it's so good. I, I, I think I will try and either screenshot it or gif it and put it up on Instagram for us because that's really good. I also always like to talk about the uh, some of the production and, and some of the uh, camera trickery we see. And the bridge moment with the, the train coming across at them, it uses so many different techniques, but right. really, really well. Right. So there's a number of shots like from the side where the train's actually going really quite slowly. <laughs> <laughs> but because they're running right. so fast, you, 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 you can see it, but you don't see it in, in the, the quick shots back and forth. There's a number of the shots where they're clearly acting to, I think it's being projected right. behind them. So it's like they're pretending to jump away from it, but it's actually just a cinema screen with it going on. Um, there's a slightly different shade of color to the, to the train itself. So it feels mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But there is a great long shot from in front of them where they're running towards the camera and the train, it looks like it's <laughs> right on them. And it's been done with a telephoto lens, so like a massively, massively zoomed in lens. The right. train's like a mile away. <laughs> it's, it is nowhere near them whatsoever. But the way it's right, it looks like it's right on top of them. Mandy, you remember from The Graduate, that shot of him running where it looks like he's running on the spot? It was done yes. in the same sort of way. Um, right. And it's just all, all these different techniques. It actually makes the whole thing quite exciting because right. you can just see this train getting closer and closer. But actually, it's just a really slow train. <laughs> I totally got it. So Vern probably could have actually continued to crawl across the bridge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guy on the train does not slow it down. <laughs> yeah. He could have just, like, fallen through the gaps. That's what I... <laughs> I think that's I what he was afraid I couldn't figure out why they wouldn't just, like, swing off to the side. But that's because I was a monkey and I like to climb trees. So mm. I... that But agreed. That was so well done. <laughs> I, I was totally... Every time I watch it, I'm still kind of on edge like oh guys run faster i think they actually used stunt doubles for some of the shots as well they the stunt doubles were actually described mm. as very small women with cropped cuts or cropped haircuts <laughs> like, okay. small women what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, just thinking back on it there's two big scenes with will will wheaton Ryan. oh yeah chopper. chopper i can't think of anything else of <laughs> Yeah, I can't think of anything else of him running, but he's quite a good runner, clearly. He does yeah. the Tom Cruise thing, <laughs> pumping his arms. Watch my hair blow in the wind. <laughs> mm. I will say it did look like he was running as absolutely fast as he could in that yeah. junkyard scene. Like, I mean, his face Which was Which is really funny strange. because that is the one thing that um, he was actually much faster than River Phoenix. And he had to slow down. So he was totally acting like he was running very fast. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Acting. Magic of cinema. <laughs> All right, you guys. Is there anything else that we need to discuss about Stand By Me? I think need is a relative term. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing that occurred to me when we were talking earlier, you, you mentioned about the uh, two Corys. Oh, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and you don't know why you associate them together. Um, and we have Kiefer Sutherland with his lovely bleach blonde hair. Um, I want to talk about a film with a bleach blonde vampire who's kind of cool, who hangs out in very cool <laughs> settings and is just generally awesome, but also has the two Corys. Mandy, have you seen The Lost Boys? I think so. Um, I mean, I know it's a movie about vampires that has Kiefer Sutherland and the Corys in it, but I don't know anything else about it. Um, I feel like I probably watched it when I was like eight. <laughs> <laughs> so really it's the just wrong time to not in my brain at all anymore <laughs> yeah um uh my yeah uh I, I don't have a comment about that but if i did actually watch it and i think i did i i don't know anything about it other than who's in it and that it's about vampires i think it might be one for the list you know that's actually the my extent of the knowledge 
or my knowledge on it as well. So <laughs> I it sounds like one you should add. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the origin of a smoking Billy Idol-esque vampire. Oh, I think we should I'm see that. I'm on board with this. Okay. You can Add you can to the list. totally see the references <laughs> I'm making here, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Those have not gone over my you head. Can, you can see I how I'm trying to I turn you onto this film. Head. Yeah. <laughs> and one other thing that I did mean to mention during the uh, bit about the, the shooting of this film, the cinematographer for Stand by Me is a chap called Thomas Del Ruth who um, has done a number of films, another of very random films, but he's the cinematographer for the pilot of The X-Files, yeah. or director of photography by that point, but but arguably gave The X-Files some of its look. He's also the director of photography for The West Wing. Oh. So gave oh. The West Wing a lot of its look. So is that where the walk and talk started? Because these kids did a lot of walking and talking. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> him and him and Tommy Shlami coming up with it, but yeah. <laughs> Yes, I wanted to mention that. (laughs) That's the guy who made the West Wing. (laughs) So that's the extent of what I want to talk about. I think I'm going to add Lost Boys to the list. Um, Josie, do you have any recommendations that Mandy has Oh, man. Okay. So my list is a lot like Mandy's. So I had to work hard on this. (laughs) And and there's a couple (laughs) movies that I know and love that were not on there. So... uh, in the spirit of things filmed in Oregon, because that's one of those things that everybody gets really excited about when they come to Oregon, is all the movies. Mm-hmm. So you, you've watched Goonies. Um, have you seen Short Circuit? Okay. Uh, yes. But again, <laughs> I don't really remember it. Short Circuit is a good Oregon movie. Number five <laughs> is Alive. Um, Kindergarten Cop and The Ring are also really famous for being shot here. Uh, but I'm, you're not a huge horror fan, right? So maybe you might want to skip The Ring. No, but I have I've seen it. Oh, okay. Well, I've then there's it. that. Um, and I've seen Kindergarten Cop too. So yeah, and it's it's not a tumor, so it's not that horrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple that I noticed. Not a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> I will still watch that movie any day of the week. <laughs> a couple of my favorites from when I was a kid that were not on your list. Um, that maybe you've also seen. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I have not, not seen, seen it. Men in Tights. I mean, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I mean, this is okay. I've seen neither of them. <laughs> I recommend that? adding them both to the list for a double episode. <laughs> uh, have you seen Top Gun? That's going to be a very short episode. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Prince of Thieves the other night. It doesn't hold up. <laughs> I know, but that's the beauty of it. <laughs> Okay, you were asking about Top Gun. Top Gun is is actually on the list. I missed it. Okay. And a couple of my favorite music movies are The Wedding Singer and Walk the Line. Have you seen either of those? Oh, I've seen both of those. And my favorite Christmas movie, I believe, I've heard rumors that you might be having a date with the Muppets. So I got nothing else. Yes. (laughs) Giant sigh for Mandy. (laughs) Okay, so it's really important that you understand our listeners betrayed me. They're not really alive. Our listeners betrayed me and voted <laughs> for the Muppets. Yeah. So that's how I feel about that, you guys. And so you already kind of know how part fact, of that episode is going to go. It's not even all the people who voted. At least one person. <laughs> I, I no word on who that one person is. I'm going to just stop talking now mm. and start singing Christmas carol songs. Christmas Carol songs. I mean, I'm up at Christmas Carol songs. <laughs> I may or may not okay. have the soundtrack. Not, not Christmas carols. <laughs> Christmas Carol songs. Oh, who sings these? They're carols. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, if you have any thoughts or feedback for us, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. What I'm trying to say, you guys, is there's a lot of ways you can get in touch with us, so please do. You can also find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Josie, it's been a delight having you here. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll come back at some point in the future. Oh, thank you, guys. I've had so much fun, and I really want to come back. Good. Um, Where can people find you in the online world? 
Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Jawsbot7. Uh, you can find Moopoint, the podcast, at Moopoint. You can find my music production company um, at BentBeat on Twitter. You can also find um, both of those things, uh, Mooppodcast.com and BentBeatProductions.com. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, just $1 a month, it gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and our other shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to visit eloquentgushing.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletter for updates about all our shows. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And what the hell is Goofy? Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.